Thank you, Sky, for leading us uh, in worship today. Our friend Jeff Wright, our worship director, is uh, home ill. You can be praying for him, for he and his family, and hopefully they'll be back with us soon this next week. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. This will be the last time we have an opportunity to read through this section of Scripture. 25, of course, is the last verse of chapter 2 as we jump into the fall account. Chapter 2, verse 25, and then reading into chapter 3. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. <clears throat> On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. 
Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Way back in 1997, Kathy and I took our first church. And upon arriving in Coldwater, Michigan, started to get to know some of the families. And one of our elders uh, had a daughter who was really living in rebellion. And they encouraged me, you know, could I reach out to their daughter and her husband and go meet with them and somehow say something, do so, try to help them because they really were struggling as a couple. And of course, as parents, they cared deeply and they wanted something to change. They knew that they needed Jesus more than anything. And so sure enough, I went to this young couple's house and sat down with them. And I could see that things were not going very well at all. They were into all kinds of things that were inappropriate. Drug abuse in particular. And uh, I shared the gospel with them. I encouraged them to put their faith and trust in Christ. And, and they really didn't want to hear what I had to say. They didn't want to deal with that very much. And Again, I'm trying to implore them. I'm trying to encourage them that, that something needs to happen here. And I kind of gave the illustration as a former insurance agent. You know, if, you're, if your house is on fire, we're probably not going to insure it, right? As an insurance company? No. And quite frankly, with your situation, with what you're doing in rebellion, your house is on fire. And I become a horrible person if I don't tell you that that's the case. And you guys are going to be in trouble, and it's not going to go well. Mark my words, you're dealing with God Almighty here, and you need to turn to him. Well, I prayed with them, but it was clear that they really weren't hearing anything I had to say. And within a few years, sure enough, they get busted for meth, and off the prison they go. Separated now, not only from each other, but now separated from their children. Beloved, we need to understand that uh, there are consequences to sin and rebellion. As we'll see today, Adam and Eve's sin has affected all of us in incredibly negative ways. But God's incredible provision for us in his son covers our sin and eternally frees us to finally be able to live in righteousness. Last week, as we went back to the beginning in our study of the book of Genesis, we talked about the promised one, the promised redeemer, a child, a seed would be coming from the woman who would destroy the evil one once and for all in Genesis 3.15. That's where we find that promise and we hold on to that as the proto-evangelium. That's the first mention of the gospel message right at the very beginning of our texts in the Bible. But the question we asked last week, well, who's at fault here? And the answer to that question, you know, well, is it Eve? Is it Adam? Is it the evil one? The answer to that is simple. It's all of them. Why? How do we know that with certainty? Because all of them had to deal with consequences, right? God deals with each one. He deals with the serpent first, right? 
We saw that last week in great detail. He dealt with the serpent, of course, then he dealt with the man, and then he dealt with the woman. And then God addressed everybody in this circumstance. And of course, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife to cover their guilt and their shame in verse 21, which we'll talk more of this morning. It's in the midst of man's great failure that we see God's incredible provision. As we look at the text this morning and the consequences that God gives for sin, we should see correspondence. In other words, God says, you know, if you're going to rebel against me, bad things are going to happen. Isn't that what happens? You look out in the world, you see people in rebellion. What happens? Horrible things happen. This is not complicated. That's what God said would happen, and that's what happens. Today, I have four spiritual truths for your consideration that will help us understand the consequences of sin and rebellion. All the more better. And I hope you're listening closely. But before we study, let's ask his help. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we desperately need your help this morning as we look to your truth to guide us and to direct us. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd open your word to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth. Oh, God, we need your help. Move in us. Have your way, we ask. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined from the material you received when you came in, here's the first truth. Rebellion against God brought about pain and frustration for all women. Rebellion against God brought about pain and frustration for all women. First of all, and now I mind you, some of these points are super long, but I want to be super clear, okay? So, first of all, because the woman listened to the serpent, God ordained that a woman's greatest joy would be accompanied by a woman's greatest travail. The greatest joy, the greatest travail, what is that? Childbirth, right? To the woman, God said, verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Ladies, is that the case? Yeah, yeah, okay. And by the way, guys, you have no clue. You have, you have no clue what they're talking about. God ordained in Genesis 1.28 that we're to be fruitful and multiply. And, and us guys, we don't get it. We are clueless. One comedian likened to, you know, childbirth is basically like taking your upper lip and pulling it back over the top of your head. And you go, whoa, that's pretty crazy. Now listen, um, I try to sit in on the deliveries of my three daughters, okay? And uh, my brother did too. My brother, my brother Paul, bless his heart, he had three daughters. He passed out the first two. And then he thought, well, maybe I should video this thing and maybe have some distance. So I'm going to video the birth this time. So he's videoing. And uh, as you watch the video later, after the fact, the video starts to sway and then <laughs> goes up to the ceiling. He didn't make all three of them. He wiped out. Of course, the doctor knew this about me at a family trade, apparently, that I don't do well with this kind of stuff. And uh, what I found myself doing, Kathy would go for a push, and I was doing this. I was going... <gasps> Like that's doing something. It was doing nothing. And of course, the doctor said, Brad, you need to sit down. But uh, things got better as we went along. But God said this would be the case, and it is the case, right? But not only that, 
Secondly, because the woman rejected God's word, God reestablished the woman's greatest role through reminding her of her husband's leadership. Let me say that again. Because the woman rejected God's word, God reestablished the woman's greatest role through reminding her of her husband's leadership. How did God do that? He said in verse 16, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Of course, we know the greatest role for our women is that of helper. We saw that in Genesis 2.18, where God said it was not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. But now the question is, with this phrase, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you, what, what does this mean? How do we interpret this? Well, what I would suggest to you strongly is that it's always wise to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And to tear this apart, take a look at Genesis 4-7. Just go one chapter over, Genesis 4-7, and there's a discussion that God is having with Cain about his countenance falling because he's angry at Abel over an offering, and we'll get into that next week. But you'll notice it says, if you do well, God says, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It's the same exact Hebrew construct and phrasing with precisely the same two words with desire and rule. In other words, we understand that pretty clearly, don't we? We can interpret that. Sin's desire is to have its way with you, isn't it? But we must rule over sin. We understand that. Nobody argues about that. But now we go back by way of our context and talking about what's to be expected for our women. Your desire shall be for your husband. In other words, you will want to rule over your husband, but he shall rule over you. And this is what God ordained from the very beginning. Just as it is sin's desire to rule over us, ladies, your natural desire apart from Christ will be to rule over your man. But just as we must rule over sin in our lives, husbands are called to rule over their wives with righteous justice as the head of a wife. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. In other words, I stand before God under Christ. He's my head. It's not like I'm out here without a head. Christ is my head. And the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. That's what he says. Christ, although equal with God, is submitted to God's headship. Similarly, although women are equal with men in their essence, in their very being, and how God created them, they are in turn to be submitted to the husband's headship in role within the family and the church, Scripture says. Now, to understand this a bit more, let's take a look at Ephesians 5.22, which is an incredible passage. But I, I want to help everyone out here because, quite frankly, we can't understand Ephesians 5.22 until we understand 5.21. 5.21 won't be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, if you're opening your Bible, you'll notice in most Bibles these days, in Ephesians 5, there'll be, you know, you're reading the text, and then they'll have those little headers sometimes that really are not part of the Bible. And between 21 and 22, it'll say something like wives and husbands or, you know, something about marriage. But you cannot divorce 
verse 21 from verse 22, which is what follows. How so? Why? Verse 21 says this in particular that we need to be aware of, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the call. We, all of us in this room, are to be submitting to each other in all things, men and women. We're to be mutually submitted to each other. Right now, I'm submitted to all you. I'm trying to pour out my guts to show you these awesome things in Scripture, and you're submitted to me and trying to take it all in, right? We're in a mutually submitted relationship right now. But now, as it has to do with marriage, Paul then turns to, okay, let's talk about how these roles play out for men and women in marriage. Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As a matter of fact, here's something you might not know. In verse 22, the word submit in the Greek isn't even there. Yeah, I know. It actually reads, if you have just the Greek, it reads, Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, you only understand the context of verse 22 by way of having verse 21 to tell us that we're talking about a mutual submission. So ladies, with all due respect, quite frankly, you've got it easy in this illustration. You just have to submit. If you read further, guys get to die. You get to be like the church. We get to be like Jesus. And by the way, here's what I'm convinced of. If men actually submitted to their wives unto death, if they demonstrated that kind of Christ-like love to their women, the ladies would be falling all over themselves, following after them. Ladies, am I right about that? Yeah, they're all going, yeah, yeah, that's right. Guys, look at your wife as she's nodding. Get a clue. She's longing for you to love her that way. Sacrificially. Sacrifice means death. All right? Under that, this is not just a cultural accommodation for the early church. This is the way God had ordained things from the beginning. 1 Timothy 2.11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Why? On what basis? Watch what he says. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. What does he do? He goes back to Genesis by way of the discussion. This isn't a cultural thing. That's what people want to tell you. Well, there's cultural things in the New Testament that really don't matter now. No, he's going way back to the, the beginning on how God ordained things. Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, watch this, don't miss this, ladies. Yet, she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. We go, what do you mean saved through childbearing? What's that mean? We all know. We all know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, right? You guys, the only reason I'm a believer as I stand here is because my mom led me to Christ, all right? That's ministry, Incredible. that's evangelism, dare I say, right? So thank you, Mom. I praise God for you. Peter says it this way. Likewise, wives, don't miss this, ladies, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Do you realize that? You don't have to nag the guy to death. Just be honorable. Walk faithfully with Christ. 
and let God use your character, your love, your Christ-likeness to touch that guy's heart so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Beloved, I am so incredibly blessed in how my wife cherishes and embraces her role in our marriage. I haven't forced her. I haven't manipulated her. She has freely chosen to submit herself to me because of her love for her Savior and for her love for me. I'm a ridiculously, outrageously blessed guy, and I'm madly in love with you. She's sitting right there, sorry. Just point that out. Beloved, rebellion against God brought about pain and frustration for all women. Secondly, rebellion against God brought about decay and frustration for all men. Watch this, guys. Listen up. First of all here, because the man did not lead and protect his wife, God ordained that the whole earth would be sub subjected to futility. If I can say that, subjected to futility. Guys, this is huge. Sin ha has horrible ramifications. This initial sin against God by Adam and Eve brings about the cursing of the globe, if you will, the cursing of the cosmos. Notice what it says in verse 17. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. You listened to the voice of your wife. In other words, he did not lead. In other words, he did not protect. By the way, guys, if you do not lead, don't expect anybody to follow you. And the consequences here on our planet have to do with what's known as the second law of thermodynamics. Technically, the second law of thermodynamics is an expression of the universal law of increasing entropy, stating that the entropy of an isolated system which is not in equilibrium will tend to increase over time, approaching a maximum value at equilibrium. Isn't that right, scientists up front here? Yeah, that's right. Got to rely on my scientists that sit up front here. Uh, basically, what we're saying here is stuff rolls down hills, right? If you understand what I'm saying. You buy the new car, the car starts rusting, the foundation of the house settles, cracks, shrinks, things decay and deteriorate. We all know this. This is what we're de dealing with. Before sin, Adam and Eve were able to eat freely, but now with great cost, the whole earth is now groaning, Scripture says. And so are we as we wait for our Savior this won't be on the screen, but listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 18. Paul says, For I consider the, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, right? Because of sin. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're all groaning, right? 
But secondly here, because the man did not listen to God, God ordained that the earth itself would oppose him. Did you see that in verse 17 and 18? God says to Adam, in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. We are in outright opposition to the climate of our land, of our country, of our world, the weather, the climate. We are in opposition to the earth itself, including earthquake, ice, flood, parasite, and disease. I, I don't know, did you hear about the pandemic? There's this pandemic out there. Yeah, what, why does that exist? Because we are a sinful, rebellious people and God is dealing with us, humbling us. And now the whole world opposes us. And thirdly, because the man rebelled against God, God ordained that the earth would ultimately consume him. Don't miss that. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, Adam. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. By the way, Adam's literal name, Adam, actually means dust boy. And so now you were dust and you're going back to the dust, pal. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Sweat, it says. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's difficult to make a living in our world. Even here in America, we have it pretty easy compared to the rest of the world. In many other countries, many wake up wondering where the food will come from today. Every funeral I've ever done, there's a phrase that I say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You came from the dust, you're going back to the dust. You're created from it, and now back you go. And now God, Adam renamed Eve. She was Isha in the Hebrew. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We saw in 2.23. But now, because she was the mother of all living, Adam changes the name. Rebelling against God brought about decay and frustration for all men. Everybody in this room is dealing with difficulties because of sin. But thirdly, don't miss this. By his sheer grace, God provided a covering for our sin. Now, this next verse here, verse 21, is probably the most overlooked verse in all of Genesis 3. You know, we talk about the fall, the consequences, but man, you've got to understand verse 21 because this is the whole point. This is the whole point of the ultimate gospel message, verse 21. Notice what it says. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is huge. What was their problem? You know, I keep reading verse 25 of chapter 2, and you're wondering, why does he keep reading there? They were naked and not ashamed, and now they're ashamed, and now God's going to solve that problem. He's literally now going to cover them. He's going to cover their guilt and their shame. This is huge. Now notice how it comes about. And there's only one way it can come about. Remember, God said, if you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Die. And the lightning bolt didn't come. So now in verse 21, God says, okay, it should have been you. But now you see these animals, we're going to offer them in your place. And now their blood, their skin will now atone for, will now cover 
your rebellion, your guilt, and your shame. And that now becomes the pattern of sacrifice that we see throughout the whole Old Testament that leads ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, in fact, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is Jesus who ultimately covers all of our sin through faith in him. The word clothed here in the, in the Hebrew is lavash, to dress, wear, clothe, put on clothing. And by the way, I'd like you to note that all of you to this day are still wearing clothing, are you not? Yes, you are. To put on clothes, be clothed, wear, to put on, to be clothed with. Another word associated with this idea of clothing and being covered is the word in Hebrew, kephar. Kephar, you might be aware of this, even though you, as I say that, you're going, I'm not aware of this word, kephar. I say, oh, you might be aware of it more than you think you are. It means to coat, to cover over, to pacify, to propitiate, to cover over, to atone for sin, to make atonement, to be covered over, the text says, to make atonement. Tip four, we're familiar with this. If you're familiar with the calendar, because every fall, the Jews celebrate a special day. What is it? It's Yom Kippur. <laughs> Yom Kippur, we'll call it. It's Yom Kippur. It's the day of atonement. Literally, it is the day of covering when our sins are covered by God Almighty. You go, wow. Job 29, 14. Listen to this. Job says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Isn't that what happens at a wedding? You know, we get all decked out for the, for the wedding. There was a wedding here yesterday. By the way, nice cross, huh? You like the cross? That was from the wedding yesterday. Dustin Stevens, the guy I baptized a couple weeks ago, got married to Jessica here yesterday, and they donated this cross that he made himself for us. I think it's awesome. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. But we get all dressed up. We get all decked out. We want to be covered so that we can look our best with all that we wrestle with in our humanity. And that's ultimately what Christ does for us. You remember the prodigal son account where Jesus tells of a boy who took half the inheritance and he spent it all on loose living. He finally decides to go back, to, back home to his father when he came to his sentence, senses in Luke 15, 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, right? We got to cover him up. Why? He's been with the pigs. Oh, that's right. Put the best robe on put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Paul implores us in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on, put on his righteousness. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. Further, Paul says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The psalmist writes, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there's no deceit. Galatians 3.26, Paul again says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. How? Through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I ask you, have you put him on today? I put him on a long time ago. I was about five years old. I'm still figuring out what it means to walk with him, with his covering. Put your faith and trust in him. Be covered. Be free from sin by his sheer grace. Fourthly, lastly, by his sheer grace, we don't have to live forever in sin. Watch how this works. Don't miss this. This is important. In verse 22, it goes on, after God provided skins to cover their shame and their guilt, verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. You see the problem? The problem is we can't have man living forever in rebellion. In other words, for the Christian, for the Christ follower, death is a welcome friend. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, then a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Beloved, for those who are in Christ, death is not the end, but now death is a great triumph and victory. In Christ, death has no sting, Paul writes. Rather, death becomes our friends so that we might live clothed in the righteousness of Christ for eternity. Right now, we can no longer eat of the tree of life, but we now have access to the bread of life, who is Christ. And we should dine on him, Scripture says. Jesus himself says in John 6, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man of the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Later in this passage, Jesus makes it very clear. He's talking about spiritual bread. He says, the flesh profits nothing. I'm talking about spiritual matters. You need Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him so that you can know with certainty that when you die one day, you will be in his presence forevermore, covered by the blood of Christ for all your sin. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the only way that's found is through faith in Christ. Several years went by for my friend Amber, who was in jail, and her husband. And she made a post years later, dated July 14, 2015, and this is what my friend Amber wrote. I want you to hear this. I've been avoiding sharing this for a long time, but I feel God telling me that someone who is struggling today needs to hear and see this letter Please feel free to share with anyone. My life is an open book, and I want others to benefit from my mistakes in the past. It's my goodbye letter to meth. I wrote it during my time at the Kalamazoo Gospel Meth Mission. She writes, meth, where do I begin? The first time I tried you, I felt so strange. 
I didn't like the feeling, so why did I try again? Oh, that's right. It was an attempt to fit in. Imagine that. I actually thought I could fit in, which when I included you. Funny, isn't it, how it ends up being exactly the opposite of that? At the end of our time together, I wouldn't even answer the door. I felt like I was stared at if I went anywhere, and I couldn't even talk on the phone in fear of someone finding out you were my only priority, meth. In the beginning, I remember the rush we, sh- we would share. It was, it was great being able to get all my cleaning done, do the laundry, and still have time for myself. But it wasn't long before it was just a game of tag, chasing you for the same rush. I sat day and night with you, looking for anything close to the feelings I used to get from you. Days, weeks, months, years, how was it possible? I had so many plans, goals, projects that you were the center of. Where did all the time go? Eight years of my life thinking pretty soon I'll be done with you. I would tell myself any time now I will let meth go and move on with my life. But the lies always hovered above me. It was as if a dark rain cloud was following only me. The lies like, well, I can't do anything without meth, or I'm a loser anyway, so I might as well try to feel good. Why, well, I, I can control it. Nobody really knows. I, I can still be a good mom and wife, or nobody cares about me. I don't know why I continued to listen to your lies for so long. It was like a deep hole that the rain from your rain cloud kept filling up. I was drowning, and you could care less, meth. But the entire time I was with you, just on the other side of your rain cloud was my Savior. He was reaching his hand out for me, never tiring, just in case I wanted to grab hold and let him pull me out out of your hole of deception, meth. Little did I know, with help from him, I could break through your rain cloud and step into the shining light without doing anything to deserve it. I was saved from you, meth. He was there all along, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no feeling you can give me that he can't trump. There's no lie that you can tell me that he can't crush. I'm in his hands now, meth. So I'm thankful to say I will no longer be playing that game of tag with you. And happy to say it is bright sunshine where I am now. That rain cloud you have reserved for me, well, it's, let's just say you can cancel the reservation. I will never ever needed again. Good riddance. Princess Amber Modert, my father is the king of kings. Awesome. These are real people. Yeah, that's, that's worth a clap. It is. It is. Um, and to this day, she and her husband are completely restored following Christ. They're with their family, enjoying life. Only by the sheer grace of God. Now, we've talked about a lot of stuff today. Adam and Eve's sin has affected all of us in incredibly negative ways. Everybody in this room, by his sheer grace toward us, God provided his son as a covering for our sin And now we are free to live in righteousness forevermore. And so I ask you, is your house on fire? If it is, you need to get out. You need to turn to Christ. It's time to finally make things right. It's time to make things right with Christ before it's too late. 
Would you please stand with me as we close our service? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are blown away at your outrageous goodness and grace. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Amber and Jesse and what you did in their world. You changed everything. Because they finally responded to the gospel message. And they put their faith and trust in you and you washed them clean. You covered their sin once and for all. To such a degree that they're now free to walk together with you right where they are with their family. Oh God, you are so good. Lord, we thank you for encouragements like this. As we see your handiwork, we see it here with how you dealt with Adam and Eve as you covered their sin. We see them in an example with our friends Jesse and Amber. You're so good. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who's wrestling with these things, wrestling with a life-dominating sin that's got to go, whether it's addiction to whatever, substance abuse, pornography, anger, greed, self-centeredness, integrity issues, misrepresentation. Oh God, deal with us. Convict our hearts that we might turn to you afresh and anew things might be made right. But we thank you that your word says that as we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us all of our sin. All of it. If you're here thinking, well, they, I don't think God can forgive my sin. Yes, he can. No matter what it is. He can forgive it. He can restore you. And give you a new life. Give your life to him even now, in the quietness of this moment. Say, yes, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart and my life. Forgive me for my rebellion. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness that I might walk with you rightly. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross in full payment for all of my sin so that my rebellion, my guilt, my shame might be covered by his shed blood on my behalf. Oh God, thank you. And Lord, that goes for all of us in this room. Lord, as Christ's followers, we praise you, we thank you for what you've done for us. We haven't deserved any of it. We should have gotten the lightning strike, the lightning bolt should have come our way, and yet here we are. So Lord, may it not be that any of our houses are on fire, but you've come and shed your grace on us and washed us clean. Lord, it's my prayer for everyone in this room today. That's the case. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for attending to us. Thank you for the power of your word, Lord. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next time.